episode 171 of the Throwdown Thursday podcast. My name is Patrick Rahal, and I am also known as Patsy the Angry Nerd. We are coming to you live. Well, it's live now. It won't be when you listen to it. Coming to you live from the Pat Cave of Magenta Manor. And uh, we are brought to you by the Dorkening Network and Deadly Grounds Coffee. And joining me, as always, my co-host on the show, my co-host in life, she is the real housewife of Transylvania. She is the mistress of Merlot. She is the Michael Phelps of wine and the queen of the monsters. Ladies and gentlemen, Ashes Von Nightmare. Happy Ashtober, everyone. Yes, we are actually recording this on Ashtober 1st. Now, Ashtober is not to be confused with Ashtober Fest. See, we went over this earlier. So Ashtober is the entire month. Ashtober Fest are the festivities leading up to and surrounding my what, birthday. Why don't you give the, the, the people at home who are maybe unfamiliar, because I, I was a little confused by the concept as well. No, you should not be confused by the concept. So it's like you get a, a you get a month, but like there's a special emphasis around right. There, there's a special emphasis. So I get the entire month as as I should. I deserve it as the queen of the monsters. As said. the queen of the monsters, I deserve the entire month. So I get the entire month of Ashtober to celebrate. However, it kind of gets kicked up a notch during Ashtoberfest. Bam. <laughs> Nice Emerald Lagasse. Well, you said kicked it up a notch, so. Uh, so, yeah. So, Ashtoberfest is like Ashtober on steroids. Yeah, and that generally lasts from uh, the beginning of Rock and Shock till the till, weekend after your birthday. Or till when I say it. And this year, it's actually ending the twenty. The 27th is the last the day. The 27th. Jesus Christ. 16 days. Yeah. Oh, my God. Because I am worth it. Uh. So it is truly the most wonderful time of the year. I guess that's all a matter of perspective. So we are uh, beginning our slasher uh, retrospective, so so to speak, um, because we decided that our theme for October this year would be slashers, and we have decided to go with maybe a uh, a, a newcomer on the scene. I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. There ha- it's definitely a newer franchise. Yep. You know, uh, it definitely really flits it fits into the slasher genre. Oh, absolutely! Not only with the amount of gore, but the uh, the character itself and the uh, the crew uh, for the quadrilogy of films uh, certainly fits uh, because there are many many horror icons that populate the uh, the film here. Uh, we are, of course, talking about Victor Crowley, uh, the Adam Green creation brought to life by Kane Hodder. And uh, we decided that he would be a good place to start off because he is new, but it's the culmination of many, many horror careers. I mean, some of the uh, the people that are in this film, I mean, you've got Daniel Harris, Felissa Rose, Robert Englund. I mean, Robert Englund's the first person you see in the franchise. It's true. Um, well, Tony Todd. Tony Todd's in a couple of movies. Derek Mears is in the third one. Derek Mears, Tyler Maine. I mean... There's a lot of, like, high, I mean, Laura Ortiz, who is in uh, not only Holliston, but uh, Hills Have Eyes, the, the remake. I mean, so there's a, there's a lot of uh, high-quality horror veterans in this franchise. And it was really put together to be kind of like a love letter to these slasher films from the 80s mm-hmm. that 
you know, I grew up watching. Old-fashioned American horror. Yeah, yeah. So, and and that's kind of why we wanted to start with Victor Crowley. A, because he's he's a more recent uh, character, but because he's kind of a culmination of, of everything. And Adam Green wanted to put this together to see kind of how far he could take it. Yeah, and I mean, the amount of fake blood used uh, was like record setting in each each of the first couple of uh, films. Um, you have yeah, that in your notes. I actually have notes on that. So, um, hold on, let me find. And this it. is yes. coming in a so, time when Japanese horror was really big. According to bloodydisgusting.com, the hatchet. So this is the second one, I believe. Yeah, the second one. This movie's final tally of flake, flake. Wow, fake blood used in its making is one hundred thirty-six gallons. That's eighty-one gallons more, and more than double the the amount used in the making of Hatchet, which reportedly used fifty-five gallons of fake blood. Yeah, so they almost tripled it at that point because it would have been one hundred sixty-five. Would have yeah. been triple. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think uh, when making the second one, Adam Green was just like, I want to use as much fake blood as we possibly can. And there are some... I mean, and there's some definitely gratuitous scenes. Oh, I was going to say, there, there I is I swear some... to God, they're just like throwing buckets of blood at trees. I was going to say, there are some very... Uh, well, I mean, we'll get into it, but there are some very innovative and uh, you know really uh, interesting kills um, using stuff that you wouldn't normally think of, and some stuff that you would. Like I said, you know... This is, you know, Adam Green kind of uh, marketed this as old school American horror, and this came out in uh, 2003 was the first one, I believe. Um, hold on. Let me is that where you got in your notes? Because I, I believe it was 2003. And right around then is when you started getting all the, uh, you know, like the Japanese horror films, the Japanese horror remakes were no, really, I believe really Hatchet big. was 2006. Hold on. Let me, let me look it up real quick. Yeah, it was 2006, then 2010, then 2013, 2017. Correct. Yeah, that's where it is. Um, but yeah, like you, you had this, uh, you know, kind of, you know, renaissance with American horror starting with Hatchet and that kind of, and what I like about Hatchet is. It doesn't, well, for me, it doesn't set out to be something that it's not. Well, I also like the fact that there's so many references to other things like, you know, other films, Leslie Vernon, Frozen, not the Disney one, but the Adam Green one. Oh, funny story is when I posted the picture of, uh. The, the DVD cover of Frozen with the guy hanging off the cable. Matteo Molinari of uh, Majama of bad CGI sharks fame commented, let it go. And he's like, oh, whoops, wrong movie. It's like, yeah, you definitely don't want to let it go right there. That, uh, from what I understand, reading the um, the Kane Hodder uh, biography, Unmasked, was one of the most dangerous stunts that they had to do because they weren't able to uh, put a clip from the actor or the stunt performer onto the cable above him. And it was so cold and cause they were, they were really up that high. Like that wasn't a set. Well, I mean, Adam Green, and, and we can talk about this a little bit later. Adam Green does not like CGI. He's a well, huge fan of practical effects and that's what he solely relies on. Right. But the, the reason I was bringing that up is because, you know, Kane Hodder was the stunt coordinator for that. He, like I said, he mentions it in his uh, in his autobiography. But the shot was so good and so epic that they used it as the cover of 
the Blu-ray of the the stunt actor mm-hmm. hanging from the chair with like no safety equipment. Not no, but like not as Very much few, as Kane yes. wanted to have. I thought that was really cool. But uh, for our getting into character question today, what do we what have we got? So Victor Crowley has his hatchet, and Jason Voorhees has his machete. So we want to know, if you were a slasher villain, what would your signature weapon be? Yeah, because, I mean, there's a lot of signature weapons. We were actually talking about this off air a little while ago. You know, obviously, you know, Chainsaw for Leatherface for those, what is it, like 30 movies now? Um, You mentioned a hook, and I was like, hey, there's actually two people with hooks, because there's uh, Candyman and... Um, The... Killer from I know what you did last like summer. The fisherman or whatever they yeah, call it. Yeah, I forget exactly what he's called. It's the Gordon's fisherman. Yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> um, I know what you did, Leid, last summer. Yeah, and you know other uh, villains like Ghostface uses a knife, and and some killers uh, like Michael Myers has a knife mostly, mm-hmm. but some of some some. Uh, I mean, like they switch it up as well. Well, but- some guys have you know, no specific thing that they use like Hannibal Lecter. I mean, if you were to pick a weapon, it would probably be his teeth, you know, like he doesn't really, or, or, you know, sometimes he uses a knife, you know, it could be a pocket knife. It could be a fillet knife. It could be something, you know, much better than that. But, you know, some of these guys don't have a signature weapon, but I did a lot of thinking about this and I'd like to go first if that's okay. Uh, Go right ahead. Okay. So for me, um, I would like to have if it's if I'm a, a a slasher in a slasher movie and I'm one of these undead unstoppable murder machines I'm going to have a uh like an axe but it's going to be made out of like I'm going to make weapons out of the bones of my victims like I would have an axe where it's like someone's sharpened pelvis welded to a spine or a, a femur or like a uh, uh, a sh- uh, a blade but it's like stuck uh, like the hilt of the sword would be like a uh, uh, would be jawbone like a mandible and then the handle would be like a uh, an arm bone like a humerus so, kind of like remember when we went to the museum of fine arts over and they the summer the bone weapons? and they had no well it wasn't the weapons it was the instruments oh yeah yeah yeah, remember? yeah, yeah so yeah. they had this exhibit that had a lot of like classic instruments from all over the place, you know, different uh, time periods and stuff. Maracas made with the teeth of babies. (laughs) Pretty much. Like there were some that gave you a very vague description. If they knew exactly what animal and what part of the animal, some of these, you know, uh, like the drums with skin. Yeah. Like these very like native looking instruments came from, they would let you know, but there were some that, uh, didn't say anything, but you could kind of guess what it was. Yeah. There was there. It's human. There, there is some some human instruments in there. There was some human hair that was used as like, you know, strings or like as a, kind of like, not quite a cat. I swear to God, there was thing. yeah. Like I swear to God, there was a scalp on one of those instruments yes. just to be there. as a decoration. Yeah, right. some of it wasn't you know instrumental to the uh, construction of the uh, of the of the instrument, but it was uh, like a, a 
a decorative piece. But I just thought it was funny. If they knew the animal, if they could identify it, they'd be like, oh, you know what? A drum made from the hide of a horse using the femur as a drumstick or whatever. But uh, you would look at one and, and it would just be like a, 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 a primitive guitar. Yeah. Then that's it. But you could tell that it was made from someone. You know, like so. a shin bone or, yeah. So how about how about you? So I'm going to go a little more campy with mine. Uh, I'm going to go with a corkscrew. I, I yeah we, I would we be about yeah this a I would bit. be known as the corkscrew killer. I would probably you know dismember my victim using the corkscrew. That either. is going to take a long well, ass time. Yeah, but you know it, well, here's what I'm thinking, right? So I stab them in the eye with the corkscrew, and then like pull their eyes out with the corkscrew, and then like go in, and then like pull their brains out with the corkscrew. And then, and that I would can, look good on screen, but practicality, I don't, I don't know about that. But then, like, you get a long ass corkscrew. But then, like, I can use their skulls to drink out of. To drink out of. Oh well, that's that's right. Yeah. Like it's uh, yeah. uh, waste not, want not. That's true. And then you could use their skin to make drums <laughs> and put them in the MFA. Yes, that would be perfectly fine. <laughs> so you'd be all set there. So that would be a great way to dispose of their bodies, though. You just donate them to like different art museums. Oh, like, I found oh, these. I found this. I it was is an artifact. I was spelunking and was. <laughs> I found this in in my on my property. Why is there a uh, Why is there a tattoo? The Red Sox World Champions 2018. Ooh, this must have been a shaman. Like <laughs> he knew what was going to happen in the future. <laughs> I'm pretty sure this is 18th century Etruscan. So, all right. Like, I, think- I feel like this skull would pair nicely with a 2010 estate Merlot. Hey, uh, what wine pairs best with a uh, a guy from Detroit who doesn't like chicken? Too specific. Okay, I'll, I'll just go with a rosé. <laughs> All right, I think with uh, with that being said, we'll we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we will be discussing Victor Crowley and uh, all of the uh, all of the wacky shenanigans he gets himself involved in. We'll be right back. Everyone thinks because you're a zombie, you don't know good coffee. Well, they're wrong. We have very active lifestyles. It's not all wandering the countryside aimlessly or scaring passing motorists. We all love a good cup of joe. And there's only one brew that gets my seal of approval. Deadly Grounds Coffee is my guilty pleasure. Bold, robust, delicious. It's coffee that can wake the dead. (laughs) With over a dozen different roasts and flavors, Deadly Grounds can satisfy the most finicky of coffee addicts. The aroma is so intoxicating. It brings all of my neighbors out of the woodwork. Deadly Grounds Coffee. Coffee to die for and zombie approved. It's good to get a little deadly. Hello again, everyone. It's Mr. Most Days Off from the Best Darn Diddly Review Show, here with a special message for you from Richie the Whiz Kid. You know, a town without Best Darn Diddly is a little like the mule with the spinning wheel. No one knows how he got it and danged if he knows how to use it. The name's Whiz Kid, Richie the Whiz Kid, and I come before you good fans of Springfield with probably the greatest podcast 
Uh, it's not for you. It's more of a Shelbyville podcast. Now, you wait here just a minute. We're twice as smart as the people of Shelbyville. You tell us where to listen to Best Darn Diddly and we'll listen. I'll tell you exactly where you can listen to it. You can catch the Best Darn Diddly Review Show each and every Monday on bestdarndiddly.com. So hop on the monorail and join us on this journey through the Simpsons series. Hi, I'm Dominic Pace, star of Sci-Fi Channel's Megalodon. This is Emma! Hi, my name is Kurando Mitsutake, director of Gun Woman and Karate Kill. Hi, this is Samantha Newark, the voice of Jem and Jerrica from the original Jem and the Holograms cartoon series. Hey guys, this is James Thomas, director of Megalodon. Hi guys, this is Dee Wallace from E.T. and Cujo. Hi, I'm Mike Price. I'm a writer on The Simpsons. I co-created Epis for Family. And you're listening to Patsy the Angry Nerd and Ashes Von Nightmare. And you're listening to the Throwdown Thursday podcast. And you are listening to Throwdown Thursday. And you're listening to Throwdown Thursday. And you're listening to Throwdown Thursday. And you're listening to Throwdown Thursday podcast. Victor Crowley was born horribly disfigured. His daddy kept him hidden away in his house where no one would see him. They live like that for years. Just keep it in themselves. Alone. And we are back. So that clip we just played was from the first Hatchet movie. Give you a little bit of uh, an idea of what Victor Crowley's uh, upbringing was like. However, it doesn't get into what happened after that. So I really like what Adam Green did as far as the storytelling portion of, of who Victor Crowley is and how he came to be. So you learn in the first film kind of like why he, Victor Crowley is the way that he is. Yeah, like who who he is, like what his backstory is, how he right. died. And then in the second film, you learn how he came to be exactly. Yeah, like the source of his uh, powers. Like if this was Ghostbusters, he'd be classified as like a class five repeating phantasm. So, <laughs> so in the first film, we learn that Victor Crowley was, a def- was born with these deformities and in an attempt to protect him, his father, who was a single father at the time, hid him from the outside world. So they lived in the shack um, in Honey, Honey Island, Island Swamp in Louisiana. And his son never really, you know, Victor Crowley never really left the house. Yeah, he, if he did leave the house, like if, you know, his dad had to go and, you know, like go to the, you know, the general store or whatever, pick up supplies, what have you, he would bring Victor with him but he would be tormented mercilessly by the kids, which you heard in that little clip there. Right, because he kind of became like a fable amongst the townspeople because nobody had ever seen him. They just heard whispers of, of, you know, who Thomas Crowley's son is. And, you know, kind of playing off of what last week's show was all about, there was a lot of morbid curiosity. Like, kids wanted to see him, wanted to see what he looked like. And that, is how he eventually uh, met his demise. Because there was a group of kids who, uh, on Halloween night, decided to start throwing firecrackers at the Crowley homestead to kind of scare Victor to come out. Like, 
you know, they were, you know, they wanted him to come out and be like, hey, stop. Because they just wanted to see him. They just wanted to get a good glimpse of this, this monster that they've heard all of these stories about. They knew he was real. They just had never seen him up close in person. And well, that's all they wanted. They had, but they wanted to but, but see they him hadn't, Yeah, but they hadn't gotten a good look at him. Right. Like, you know, what we see in that clip is them like kind of banging on the truck door and... Victor turning towards them at the last second and they see his face, but it scares them. So they run away. And then they're like, you know what? We want to, let's get a real good look at him. Like you were saying. And so they start throwing firecrackers, but it starts a fire. And Thomas Crowley is doing his best to, you know, break the door down. Like he keeps banging on the door and kicking at the door frame, but Victor's on the other side of it. And he doesn't realize that because Victor is, uh, Victor's trying to get out of the... And he also doesn't speak all that well. Right. That's part of his his condition. And so Thomas Crowley says, screw it, I'm going to chop this door down with the hatchet. And he starts chopping at the door, not realizing that Victor's on the other side, and with one mighty swing, goes right through the door and right into Victor's face, killing him. And then Thomas Crowley then falls into this deep deep depression for about a decade before he passes yes and we learn a little more about this backstory in the next film because it the first film see adam green's whole thing was he had a lot of confidence in this in this story and telling this story and you know obviously it was well founded because he didn't want to tell all of victor crowley's backstory in the first film which you see a lot in pretty much everything like you find out about freddy krueger you know all about his whole backstory in the first film the first 10 minutes or so of halloween is the origin of michael myers um leatherface you had to wait about 30 years to get a you know a real origin story but for a lot of these slashers these immortal guys jason's another one you get the the backstory of what happened and why he is what he is in the first film as a student of horror, uh, Adam Green was like, nope, I'm not doing it like this. I have this whole story that I've been working on since I was a kid, which is true. He knew who Victor Crowley was when he was a kid, and he had this whole story planned out for him. And he's like, I'm not going to just spoil it all in the first film. So we get to the second film, and we find out why Victor Crowley looks the way he looks. And we find out a little bit about his mother. Now, Thomas Crowley was married. But his wife got very, very sick. They needed a a caretaker who came in. And unfortunately, Thomas and the caretaker... I don't have her name. Um, I don't think I do either. Thomas and the caretaker uh, got a little too close. And as Thomas's wife lay dying, you know, he impregnated his, the, the caretaker. You want to take it? So... I don't even know if they realized she was pregnant at the time, but on the wife's deathbed, she knew and her dying words with the last breath that she took was a voodoo curse to the baby growing inside of the nurse. And she, she does this curse, puts her hand over the nurse's stomach and then dies. The uh, the wife's name is Cheyenne, and the caretaker's name is Lena. Yeah, she 
she puts her hand as she, she looks terrible. Like this is her last thing she finds out. I mean, who knows how long she was aware of what was going on, but she finds out and she curses them both. And uh, Lena ends up dying in childbirth. Like there was a lot of blood in that scene. Well, yeah, there was a lot of blood, but also like there was a, a it was a, a rumor. Home well, yeah, it was a home birth, but there was a rumor saying that the first uh, look that she took of her son terrified her so much that it scared her to death. Yes, and that was uh, shown on screen very well. Like the the makeup effects in this are phenomenal. But obviously, Thomas Crowley, you know devoted father decided that he would obviously uh take care of the child and and then you find out that part of the reason why he keeps victor hidden is because it's basically to hide his shame well, i mean that's that's I yeah think that, that, that's, that's part, part of, it, of it but part of it is to protect his son and right because he's ashamed of what he's done and this but child he, is but at the same time like he grows to really love victor right well what i'm saying is like you know this child has been cursed and is deformed and lives this horrible life because of him the kid didn't do anything wrong it's thomas and his sense of guilt but he does love his child like you know we see um in one of the the best um the best scenes is in the first movie, and we see, uh, because Kane Hodder plays adult Victor Crowley, we see Kane Hodder also playing Thomas Crowley, and he brings a real, like, serious emotion to, and this was really, like, his first role, you know, in a in a serious situation, like a dramatic situation, where he wasn't behind, you know, six tons of makeup. You know, showing that he's not just, you know, this, you know, big, scary murder machine. He's, you know, he's a seasoned actor who has spent decades around other actors and he knows how to, you know, apparently he got the role by uh, being able to cry on cue. Mm. Now, if you read the, the, the unmasked autobiography or biography, because it was written by Michael Aloisi, uh, and all three of those guys, uh, Adam Green, Kane Hodder, and Michael Aloisi, will be at Rock and Chuck when, when we're there next week. Um, according to Kane Hodder's account, uh, he was able to cry on cue and it impressed Adam Green so much that he was like, yes, you can also play Thomas Crowley in addition to Victor Crowley. According to Adam Green's account, he took Victor, he took Kane Hodder out into the parking lot and beat the shit out of him to the point that he was crying and... He felt bad that he had made a grown man cry and let him play the part out of the goodness of his heart. That was that was very nice of Adam Green to do that. And um, there is a disclaimer at the end of that story, which is the prologue of Unmasked, uh, where he says that one of those two stories is incorrect. And he leaves it up to the reader to decide which one is which. So, But Kane definitely brings a very humanizing uh aspect to thomas crowley especially in that one scene where they're both sitting at the table and thomas is feeding victor blowing on the food yeah which i think is something that kane like improvised on on the spot that's so loving it's just you know making sure that the food is the perfect temperature to feed your loved one with Mm -hmm. yeah and You you know he's sitting there he's feeding victor before he eats himself you know so he's Definitely trying to make sure. And Victor that... looks like a happy child. Oh, too. he, you know, 
um, Riley Vanderbilt was playing young Victor Crowley and she brought a good, um, like she kind of was like hopping up and down a little bit. Like he's excited for dinner time, you know, um, which I thought was a good, um, a good addition to the character. Well, and it definitely gives it some three dimensions. Right. And it definitely uh, paints this contrast of, you know, this is who Victor Crowley was versus who Victor Crowley is now. Yeah. Now he's this, you know, undead spirit of vengeance just wreaking havoc oh my god you know what i just realized i do not the hatchet that victor crowley uses to kill his victims is the same hatchet that thomas crowley used to, to accidentally kill him you're just getting that oh that's so sweet though <laughs> no no that's so sweet it's like it's poetic like, yes it's like you know it's like the memory of his dad you know like my dad used this hatchet now i use this my hatchet. dad killed me with this and i'm gonna kill you now yes like exactly. he's passing it on like, like that's but that's so, so sweet yeah he never got to have children it's of like his a own family, family heirloom yeah he never got to have children of his own so you know, he's trying to make as as much of an impact in these young kids' but, lives as he can. But he's exacting his revenge because the people that he's going after are, I mean, pretty much A, anybody who steps foot in, in his swamp. And they say, you know, these are Victor Crowley's woods. But he's mainly going after the three kids who are now adults. Well, kind of. He, because we find this out in the second one. Because uh, Robert Englund gets killed at the very beginning, and we find out in the second movie through Tony Todd's exposition that he was one of the three kids. Mm-hmm. And Daniel Harris says, "Well, how do you know?" And Tony Todd says, "Because if I wasn't so scared that night, I would have been the fourth. So he's not specifically seeking them out because something to do with the nature of the curse. He can't leave the swamp, and he can only hunt at night. So." If they come towards him, but that explained why there was, uh, we see this guy, his name is Cracker Jack, played by John Carl Beekler. He's explaining things to Daniel Harris, who gets away. Although it's a very Friday the 13th like scene where Victor popping up out of the water at the end mm-hmm. of the first movie to drag yeah. her in. Uh, very reminiscent of uh, Adrian King's character in the first Friday the 13th, yeah. uh, which I thought was a nice touch. Um, and as soon as Cracker Jack, who you know gets Danielle Harris up out of the water and brings her to his home, as soon as he finds out who she is, he throws her out, and he's like, "That ghost has never bothered me because I've always left him alone. But now that you're here, like I don't want him thinking I was helping you." And of course, that's exactly what happens. And he comes in, and that's a hell of a fun scene. Mm-hmm. Um, what uh this series before we get into a little more has Kane Hodder's all-time favorite kill and it was uh well I want to get I want to get to that okay, in okay. a moment but I just want to touch base on the fact that I really appreciate that the backstory that was given uh explains why Victor Crowley has these supernatural like powers you know we don't right. know why Jason Voorhees can you know, reanimate himself. We don't know why Michael Myers just can't stay dead. Uh, uh, 
they try to explain that in some of the sequels, and it's it, terrible. It, yeah, but but I mean, like, there's, there's the really, Sam Hain thing, the thorn yeah. shit, yeah. But there's no real explanation in the original backstory as to why these, just, he was pure the, evil, right? Like, you know, he's the spawn of Satan himself. You know, um, they don't really give a great explanation as to why these characters have these supernatural abilities. They just do. You know, they just they just can't stay dead. Whereas this backstory, you know, it addresses it not so much in the obviously not in the first film, but in the second film. And um, you know, voodoo does play a little part in the first film because they're down in Louisiana, but it definitely plays a part in the second film. Yeah, like there's a much more of a focus on it. Um, and then that same curse and that then, they and use what, comes yeah. along in the in the fourth film, Victor, Victor Crowley. Crowley. Right. And that's that, how he's brought back. Right. But I just, I just wanted to throw that out there. I appreciate that. I appreciate that Adam Green, you know, addressed that pretty much right off the bat versus people being like, well, why does he keep coming back to life? Right. As opposed to, you know, it's like that uh, scene in Monster Squad where Sean's talking to his dad and his dad's like, like, oh, well, they could have, you know, trapped off his head, you know, cut him into little pieces, put him into a blender and shipped all the pieces to Norway and he'd still come back. And Sean's like, well, that was in part five. You know, so, you know, kind of a, you know, they're kind of making fun of it. And I think that's, again, where Adam's Green, Adam Green's extensive horror knowledge comes into play, where it's like, I don't want to do this same old, tired, you know. Right. I don't, I don't want the same plot holes that some of these other films have. I'm going to learn from not so much their mistakes, but. We'll call them mistakes for lack of a better word. I'm going to use learn from their mistakes and and build upon that. The other problem with a lot of these franchises is they change writers, they change directors, they change actors. I mean, if you have a character who's behind a mask, you can have anybody play them. Like, there's a scene in Halloween where Deborah Hill is Michael Myers, you know? But where you have Adam Green's a writer, Adam Green is the director. Like, this is his vision. He created this character. You know, it would be the same if, you know, if John Carpenter had directed all the Halloween films, do you think they they would have gone off in that weird cult direction? Probably not. But then we also would have missed out on Paul Rudd being in a Halloween movie. This is true. So I want to get to some of uh, Victor Crowley's favorite means of dispatching his, his uh, victims. As you mentioned, there is the hatchet. Uh, looks very much like the hatchet from Frailty. So if you've seen that, it looks, it looks very similar, the double-sided axe. There is a belt sander. There is a ridiculously huge chainsaw. Yeah, I'm looking at my notes. It, okay, yeah, it weighed 120 pounds. Yeah, this thing... That Kane Hodder is just, you know, holding like it's nothing. And one of my... my favorite parts of this movie is you know you got the two guys that are sitting there like what's going on oh do you hear that? and you hear the chainsaw and like you see it it's almost like the opening of Spaceballs when they show Spaceball 1 where it's just coming into frame and it comes into frame for a ridiculously long amount of time and that's what this chainsaw scene is like it just keeps going and going and going and the blade on this thing has got to be 8 feet long and he uses it he sticks it right between the legs of two actors in the book, uh, I, I know I'm doing this again. I do this all the time. In the book, but in 
uh, unmasked, he talks about doing that stunt. And, you know, the two guys were lifted. Uh, they had uh, wires on them that would lift them up because obviously you're not going to really jam a chainsaw into somebody's crotch and just rev it up. One of the actors, and I'm drawing Why a not? blank. He, he said. What know, if it's consensual? He said, make sure you wear a cup. And the kid's like, oh, I'll be fine. And he didn't wear a cup. And he was not fine. Because <laughs> when, you know, kind of a peek behind the curtain, if you've ever met Kane and got him to choke you, he really chokes you. Which, you know, we found out at Rock and Track in 2009 because Kane was there and we asked for a picture and he was, he obliged, you know, didn't charge us or anything. And she's going to take a picture and Kane's got me in a death grip and. She's like, oh, oh, I can't get the lens cap. Oh, fiddle dee dee. Oh, this is a funny story. And I'm like, oh, no, help me. And she thought it was funny. And then I told her afterwards. And apparently that's Kane's signature thing. But I guess he didn't do that for a while. And there are reasons why in the book. I'll have you read the book and watch the documentary. There's a lot of behind the scenes stuff for Victor Crowley and, um, you know, Kane himself, obviously. But. Definitely check those two things out. Um, I think the the best kill is not the one that Kane likes best, but my favorite kill is in the second movie when he kills Ari Mihailov, who played uh, Leatherface in, I think, a couple of the Texas Chainsaw films. Um, off the top of my head, I don't remember which ones. But he kills Ari Mihailov by kind of, like, curb-stomping him, where he sticks his face on a table. They have an extended fight scene. Like, this goes on for some time. As opposed to, you know, what he usually does, just hack people apart or tear them in half or rip their faces off, whatever. This is an extended fight scene. It's actually pretty cool that you get these two titans of the of the horror genre battling each other. These two big, burly guys just going at it. It's fucking great. Um, but yeah, he finally uh, is able to subdue R.A. Mihailov enough that he can put his mouth on the edge of the table and then he just kind of like boots the back of his head and so from his lower jaw up because he loses his whole lower jaw so from like his top row of teeth up is just like slides across the top of the table and like his eyes are just kind of blinking and looking around fucking awesome how about you what is your favorite kill so my favorite kill actually comes from the last film victor crowley it's when he kills felissa rose oh yeah that's a good one so Victor Crowley has a campier feel to it than the initial three movies. And I don't know if, if Adam Green actually said, he, we knew he wanted to make this a trilogy. Yeah. But I don't think he set out to make a fourth film I or like intended to make a fourth film. I think it just kind of, the ball was rolling and it, it, it happened and it worked. Um, so it's definitely campier. It's It's funnier. Uh, but it still has some great kill scenes. And the scene that I'm talking about, he dismembers Felissa Rose. He disarms her. Well, he Yes, he disarms her. And then proceeds to fist her to death with her own hand. And then the last shot you see of her, it's her hand still holding her cell phone that is ringing. Up through her mouth, yep, and you could see the rest of her arm dangling between her legs. Yes, so it's, it's so funny. It's just it's bizarre. 
Um, I don't know if something like that has ever really been done before. It's imaginative, and I was not super creative. I, exactly, I was not expecting that. I, was I, I not wanna, expecting that. I want to just point out that those of you who didn't see it on Facebook, we just watched Victor Crowley for the first time last night. We had seen all the other ones. We own all the other ones. I just bought Victor Crowley over the weekend because we hadn't seen it, and we're like, okay, we've seen the first three. We'll rewatch a couple of them, and then we'll watch Victor Crowley before we do the show because you know. We haven't seen it. We need to know how this story, quote unquote, ends. Uh, I just wanted to throw that out there, just saying that that was the first one we had seen. Now, coming into this movie, Kane Hodder had always said his favorite kill was the one where he kills the uh, the kid in the sleeping bag, mm-hmm. smashing up against a tree. Yeah, that was his favorite kill until Hatchet. In Hatchet, he kills uh, Patrick Adarbo, who you might know as. Uh, Nancy Wesley from Days of Our Lives. Just throwing that out there. That's that's who she was. And in the movie, she is married to Richard Reel, who you, if you saw him, you'd know who he was. He was in Casino. He was in Office Space, Deuce Bigelow, Three from Hell. He's He's been in a bunch of stuff. If you saw him, you'd know him. He's a pleasant older gentleman, uh, mustache, bald. So he kills Richard Reel first by chopping him Basically, between his head and his right shoulder, just takes the hatchet, chops him up. And Patrick Adarbo tries to run away, and he chases her down from behind. And there's this awesome 360 spinning shot of Victor grabbing her by her lower jaw and her upper jaw and just tearing her fucking head backwards. It's uh, up, honestly, up until we watched Victor Crowley, that was also my favorite kill scene. See, that was. Yeah, I mean... Because it's just, I mean, and he does it so effortlessly, but it's everything that's involved. You know, the, the practical effects, the angles. It's just, yeah, it's the a camera great, shot, the movement. It's such a great shot. The editing on that film, because he grabs Patrick Adarbo. He grabs her, but as the camera spins around in that 360, it seems like it's an unbroken shot, but obviously it moves over to a, a dummy, a practical effect, and... It's seamless. It's so good. And Adam Green actually created a no CGI rule, uh, except for post-production, which was used to remove on-screen wires and camera setups and whatnot. So everything was practical effect, which, I mean, if you listen to our show, you know how much we adore practical effects. Kane Hodder was wearing 30 pounds of silicone and makeup. Yeah. I mean, fortunately, he's accustomed to that type of right but when he was shooting hatchet three he said that it was the hardest job he's ever done performing rigorous action and stunts in sweltering louisiana summer heat and humidity while wearing 30 pounds of silicone makeup and uh silicone and makeup on his body yeah it's just one of my favorite little easter eggs throughout this entire um entire franchise is the fact that it takes place in Honey Island Swamp, and there's a cryptid, the Honey Island Swamp monster. It's kind of like a Bigfoot or a, a you know, a skunk ape type type thing. So I just thought that was great. Like they took the a place that already had a creature in urban legend and just kind of changed the narrative around it. So I thought that was really really cool. So there's still a monster in Honey Island in the Honey Island Swamp. But it's Victor Crowley instead of like a weird Bigfoot looking thing. 
So I thought that was a really cool touch. Now, I don't know about you, but while watching these films, I find myself rooting for Victor Crowley. Yeah, I mean, out of, I mean, he's he's definitely got a, a Jason vibe to him, but out of like all these, you know, slashers, you know, you look at, you know, a Freddy, who, although I've seen some theories saying that he was innocent and that's why he's able to take revenge from, you know, beyond the grave, but, you know, Jason, not his fault. He didn't do anything wrong. He he drowned, and then they killed his mom. Um, Victor Crowley did nothing. Like, he didn't do anything. He was a product of an adulterous relationship, and he was punished literally for the sins of his father. Mm-hmm. So it's okay to root for him. I, I think it's it's fine. You know, he is uh, remorseless. I can understand where, like, some of the people that are uh, uh, killed by him and especially the ways they're killed by him i can get that that's you know you can be sympathetic towards his victims but at the same time i think victor crowley because he did nothing wrong he just wants to be left alone you don't go into his swamp you don't get killed exactly you know it's like uh you know people always say about sharks you don't go in the water the sharks don't get you you go into the shark's house Shark's going to get you. He's going to do what he does. Victor Crowley, I mean, I wouldn't say he's a shark. I'd say he's more a gator because of the, you know. The, the location. It's it's filling. And the things. fact that, you know, several people get attacked by gators in the in the movie, or in the franchise, I should say, including Richard Reel's character, which is why they couldn't really get away too well. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't blame him. He is just a, a uh, and he's been killed over and over, and everybody keeps trying to hurt him and shoot him and stab him and. You know, shoot flares at him. Right. And, and all he wants to do, he just wants to live peacefully on his swamp. If you leave him alone and you stay away from the swamp, you don't become dead. Exactly. I know. I think that's, it's fairly straightforward. So um, we highly recommend the Hatchet slash Victor Crowley it's, franchise. It's definitely of my favorite modern horror films. Definitely well written. Definitely well acted. Um and again, you know, you're not going to find, you know, the same type of, uh, you know, collection of of horror actors and actresses all in one place. You know, even some people that appear uncredited, like Lloyd Kaufman's in a scene, like, and he was just there sitting there, like, it's like, hey, I'm like, that's Lloyd Kaufman, you know, like, think nothing of it there. He's just sitting there eating chips ahoys. Like that was that was his contribution to the scene. That and the fact that he's Lloyd Kaufman. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff like that. And if you're from Massachusetts, you're especially going to like this. Like, there's a lot of little nods. You know, Holliston on a sweatshirt. The Newberry comic shirt. Yeah. Especially when the kid tries to recreate it in, in Victor Crowley. Oh, my God. That was hilarious. Um, you know, oh, I did. You know, I didn't even mention Sean Whalen is in this. Sean Whalen of uh, People Under the Stairs. You know, a ton of Rob Zombie stuff. Like, Sean Whalen's been around forever, and he was good in the third one. I liked him in that one. So um, I think with that being said, we'll go ahead. We'll take our second break, and when we come back, we've got some battle results. We've got some uh, announcements and uh, our schedule of upcoming events. So stay where you are, and we'll be right back. Do you have a craving for creatures, a thirst for thrills, and a hunger for horror? Then you need to gorge yourself on the gore of Rock and Shock. 
That's right, Worcester's annual horror convention, Rock and Shock, comes for you from the DCU Center in Worcester, Massachusetts on October 11th, 12th, and 13th. Featuring the ladies of Evil Dead, Betsy Baker, Ellen Sandweiss, and Teresa Tilly, Ray Wise, and Sherilyn Fenn of Twin Peaks, Jason Voorhees himself, Kane Hodder. John Dugan and Ed Neal of the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre and making his first appearance, the legendary Bruce Campbell. Hail to the king, baby. Go to rockandshock.com for the full list as new guests are added all the time. Rock and Shock, be there and be scared. When there is no more room in hell... Get back to the boat. Run! Run back to the boat right now, Sue! What? What? We're about to meet the only guy to ever see Victor Crawley and live to tell about it. They take us and a small camera crew and a host, and they fly us in the private network jet. Okay, I've told you a thousand times, I'm never going back to that swamp. They offered 600000 We uh, had a minor issue with our right engine. Would you like Exanix, Ambien, Valium, Oxy? I've got heavier stuff if you want. Hey, there's people out there. Thank God. Your plane has crashed. We're going to get you all help. Thinking the witch is death itself. It's gonna follow us. Look, see? I don't even think it's a motion sensor. I think it's on a timer. She's coming back! Austin's dead. Dude, I'm right here. Austin's alive. Go to hell, you ugly bastard! We are so dead. And we are back. Uh, you just heard the trailer for Victor Crowley. Um, I had to throw that in there because I think that is easily the funniest one, especially uh, Felissa Rose's character as uh, Andrew Young's agent. Like, she's just phenomenal. Like, she's so good. And having had the chance to meet her, she's just an absolute fucking delight. So, And I'm really looking forward to seeing her next week at Rock and Shock because that's where we're going to be next week. But before we talk about that, uh, we have a couple of things uh, that we need to talk about. Ashes, we had a battle last week, did we not? We did have a battle last week. You have lost your voice in the time it took to save the audio in yes. from the last segment. Yes. That's... So as much as I love this time of year, my allergies do not. So allergies I have been jerks. in just like this 
allergy fit of rage the past couple of weeks and it's awful. So I apologize. I've been trying to not sound like this all show and, and I can't try anymore. You did well for most of the time. Thank you. I tried. Really tried. Um, so we had a battle last week in honor of, of Sid Haig. Uh, we did an open poll asking you, what is your favorite Sid Haig character? And not surprising, Captain Spaulding yeah, is it, number one. It was a runaway. We even gave people, you know, because I don't know all of his filmography. In it, it's a lot. Catalog. It's he. Well, uh, like I said, you know, was it 50 movies, 350 TV show episodes, like, uh, God, or whatever like, it was, something like that? It's a lot. It's a lot. Um, so. Yeah, Captain Spaulding, number one. The judge from Jackie Brown. Jackie Brown, which was uh, written specifically for right, him. Uh, was uh, close. Well, not really close, but that was that was second. So. Like an honorable mention close. Yeah, kind of. It wasn't like it was kind a neck of. and neck race. It was like, you did your best. Yeah, yeah. So Captain Spaulding, uh, an iconic role uh, portrayed by Sid Haig. And Spanning four films. Will definitely go down as one of the greatest characters in horror cinematic history yes so by the time this airs this will be airing on the third um i will have posted my third uh women in horror article uh you can check those out over at uh, throwdownthursdaypodcast.com or obviously we're posting them to the group we're posting them on you know uh, our our pages twitter all that stuff so um Check out some of the uh, amazing ladies of horror. Uh, it's all different, different uh, aspects. You know, there's, you know, writers, directors, actors. You know, obviously because they make the movies and the and the stories that that we love. But there's also folks who do things behind the scenes, makeup artists. Uh, you know, folks who sell horror themed items. You know, so there's a whole bunch of uh, of ladies that make the stuff that we love, like the horror products and the horror entertainment and the media that we love. So make sure to check out these articles and all of these folks are putting in, you know, where you can find their work. So if you find something that you really like, you can just go right in and, and, you know, pick up some soap from frightfully clean or check out a podcast or, you know, follow, follow them on social media and support their, their, uh, their endeavors, you know, because even if you know you don't buy something, share it, like it, subscribe to it, you know, check it out, tell your friends. Any publicity of, is good. Yeah, publicity. word of mouth is priceless. So, speaking of uh, you know promoting things and word of mouth, uh, you may or not may or may not be uh, aware that I released my first episode of my side project, Shark Bites, uh, this past Tuesday, where I interviewed Paul Salamoff, who is the writer director of encounter which just dropped on tuesday and uh, as of this recording was number three on rotten tomatoes uh list of dvd and streaming options right behind stuber and number one toy story four so definitely do yourself a favor and check it out it's a really cool uh interview he's a really cool guy it's called uh, close encounters of the nerd kind because we geek out over a lot of stuff especially the twilight zone so look for stuff over there. And uh, Ashes, what do we have coming up? So we have a lot coming up. 
this upcoming Saturday, October 5th, we are actually currently right smack dab in the middle of the Shaanxi Film Festival. So there are events going on uh, every day, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday um, at multiple locations. So if you're interested in more information, definitely look up Shaanxi Film Festival on Facebook. They have some event pages. You can look and see what's happening when and where you can buy tickets. We are actually going to be at the horror short film, uh, the first block at the Starlight in Southbridge on Saturday, October 5th. That is from noon to 2. So if you're interested in coming and watching a bunch of horror shorts with us and hanging out, definitely come. We'd love to see you. Also, well, I, was just, I just need to uh, interrupt a little bit because there was a uh, one of the shorts is Rehome by Izzy Lee, who I've mentioned on the show numerous times. And we watched a short of Izzy Lee's today called The Obliteration of the Chickens. Ashes, what did you think of that? It was interesting. It was so fucking cool. It was, uh, yeah. I'm not exactly quite sure what to make of it. Um, definitely kind of has like a a propaganda film type vibe to it. It's very, uh, even before reading the synopsis, as I'm watching this and I'm hearing the narration, which is uh, Bracken McLeod of uh, the New England Horror Writers, a very talented uh, writer. Uh, I, I got a very Werner Herzog impression out of it because that's how it sounds and it's yeah there's some crazy stuff it's like all nihilistic and shit like oh it's it's excellent so if you have a chance to see anything from izzy lee you know especially if you can get to this uh this block of shorts i totally uh i totally recommend it so and later on that saturday from seven to midnight we are going to be at the Halloween Happenings Party at Platinum City Gaming in Taunton, brought to you by BMG Events. Uh, there's a $10 cover. It's going to be a lot of fun. There's going to be karaoke and a costume contest and games and theme drinks and so much stuff. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, vendors are going to be there as well. It came from the 508 um, Studios will be there. You know, uh, Frightfully so, Clean will be there, I believe. Uh, so yeah, so that's where we're going to be. So definitely come hang out with us. You can't miss us. Next weekend is Rock and Shock, October 11th, 12th, and 13th. That's yes. the TCU Center. We are super excited. We are going to be there along with other podcasts from the Dorkening Network. Uh, crazy, crazy guests this year. Bruce Campbell is there. I'm so excited to be in the same presence as Bruce Campbell's Boomstick. And, uh, yes, yes. Uh, and, you know, because we talked about it a lot tonight, uh, many of the cast members of uh, Victor Crowley are going to be there. Felissa Rose, uh, Kane Hodder, Adam Green. So, uh, yeah, I would uh, I would definitely recommend coming down if you're a fan of, of those films. And uh, with the cast that they have um, coming to Rock and Shock this year, so you mentioned Victor Crowley. They also have, you know, the uh, Ladies of the Evil Dead, along with Bruce Campbell. They also have 
several of the cast from Twin Peaks. Texas there. Chainsaw. So I wouldn't be surprised to see some crazy panels. Yeah, like I'm I'm sure that there's going to be uh, some really cool like reunions. Because even though like not everybody was in all these movies together at the same time, like they're still all there. I mean, they still yeah, and they're the, still part the of the franchise, right? And speaking of crazy panels, yes, uh, from twelve to two on Saturday, there is a uh, live Dorkening Network podcast going on, and uh, I already have a plan. There's a specific phrase I am going to say to make sure that the people in the audience are cool. I'm going to be able to pick out all the coolest people from the audience with one phrase. And uh, it's kind of like a social experiment, uh-huh. but uh, I'm going to try it out and uh, see how it works. But I'm not telling anybody who uh, anybody about it. Nobody knows what it is. So what else we got coming up? So uh, moving on to November, November 1st, 2nd, and 3rd is Rhode Island Comic Con down at the Providence convention center the dunkin donut center and the rhode island convention rhode island convention center it's down in providence rhode island just follow the signs you can't miss it it's huge um that's what she said um well wait wait what are we doing the week prior to that like you and i have a couple of things we're doing that maybe some of the folks in the audience might see us at like what don't we have concerts well yeah but that's not like a sponsored event or anything we're just going out we're doing a bunch of stuff like, yeah but you know we're there gonna might go be somebody to... there you know that you know wants to go see ice nine kills ice nine kills isn't playing until november all right who are we seeing then i don't remember <laughs> now. <laughs> um so i mean we have a bunch of stuff that we're doing as well because you know who needs sleep um we're gonna be heading down to uh shoot i forget the name of the zoo Roger Williams, Roger Williams down for the pumpkin thing, the jack-o'-lantern spectacular. Oh, yeah. Well, there's that. Roger Williams. That's fun. That goes on. So if you like really awesome pumpkin carving. We do that every year. There's thousands. It's incredible. Yeah, definitely. uh, If you're interested, check out the jack-o'-lantern spectacular at the Roger Williams Zoo. Um, It, I think, goes for every night during October. And it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, we also are going to take a trip to Salem, you know, because uh, that's what spooky kids do. On yeah. Ashtober Prime. Yeah, Ashtober Prime, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, we're going to also hit up a couple of vineyards, at least one, maybe two, in yeah. October. Well, yeah, we have two concerts back-to-back, and I don't remember. Star Set's one of them. Yes, yes. So on October 26th, we are going to, I believe it's called Mother's House of Horrors. It's in this moment with Motionless and White and New Year's Day. And there, I forget their name, but it's a burlesque show. And I believe the Hell's a Poppin' Sideshow might be there as well. The one we talked about last week. Yes. Uh, and then the 27th. Uh, oh, and that that is at the Palladium in Worcester on the 27th. We are going to star set. Why do you keep making me talk? You're horrible. You're a horrible person. How dare, how dare you of, do this to me in Ashtober? Do you yell, know who I am? Don't yell. You'll ruin your voice a little bit. Um, on October 27th at the Paradise Rock Club in Boston, 
uh, we are going to see Star Set. So if you happen to be at any one of those events uh, in this moment, Motionless and White, New Year's Day, October 26th at the Palladium in Worcester, or Star Set, October 27th at the Paradise in Boston, you know, let us know. We can, like, hang out or something. Yeah. And um, let's see. So we've got all that uh, on the 16th of November. So oh, we've can, got... I, can I go back to what I was saying, though? Well, I was... So I was going to you know, Rhode Island Comic Con, mm-hmm. November 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. We will be there along with the Dorkening Network. And then the following weekend, November 9th, we're going to be at the Dead of Autumn Horror well, Festival. Well, I'm trying to stop you from talking so much. Well, you, you you, yeah, but you jumped to November 16th. We weren't there yet. Well, I forgot where you were because I was thinking about pumpkins. I love pumpkins. See? Pumpkins are so cute. She always runs up to the pumpkins. You... Every time we're outside of a store, she's like, oh, my God, pumpkins. I just want to hug them. Yeah. Um, side note, if you start hugging pumpkins in the middle of a grocery store, uh, people tend to look at you weird. I don't know why, but people it just, look at me weird all happens. the time. It just, it's a thing that happens, but big pumpkins are really fun to hug. I am like the kid that sits in the pumpkin patch waiting for the great pumpkin to come. Linus. So yes. Is that, is that Linus? That's oh Linus. yes. With the blankie, except mm-hmm. instead of the blanket, it's me and bear mm-hmm. uh, waiting for the great pumpkin to come. But anyways, the grand pumpkin, the November 9th, we're going to be at the dead of autumn horror festival. Also Film festival. At, also at platinum, at platinum city, city gaming. gaming in Taunton. There's a $10 cover. Uh, Alex DiVincenzo of broke horror fan is going to have a short playing there. It's also going to be the world premiere of the box, which is the new, it came from the 508 production, um, film that is coming out. It is part of the series. Yeah. The trilogy that they're currently working on. So I'm really excited to see it. One last kill was awesome. And this is like an expansion on, on that. So continuation of that story. And then, you know, in a couple of years, we'll get the third one. Um, And that following weekend, the 16th and 17th is super mega fest at the Sheridan hotel in Framingham. For those of you who were at uh, Scaricon, it's the same place. If you're unfamiliar, uh, if you're, you know, out of state, same place they held Scaricon in June where we won our awesome award and uh, was set on a path to join the Dorkening Network. So that was really cool. Set on a path to destruction. So um, so there's that. Uh, the 17th, we actually uh, will not be there because we have this really awesome interview opportunity. Top secret stuff that only top secret people know about. But you eventually will be top secret people and you'll know about it. Don't tell. It's awesome. I think you guys are going to be like super stoked. I'm super stoked yeah. for this, and I, I, I really, I'm really excited for you guys to to hear. This. I'm excited and, to to actually get a chance a, to talk to this person. It's a really amazing opportunity, and I'm kind of like I still can't believe that we have the opportunity to do this. So, um, and then I think that's it. Well, I mean, like we have stuff that we're doing, but yeah. And the following week is, oh, we have an we have a nice event with uh, Steve Van Sampson. Gonna hang out with him. It's not a cult. It's not a cult. That's all you need to know. It's, it's not just, a cult. It's not a cult. It's not a cult. And then, uh, then it's Thanksgiving. Then it's Thanksgiving. That's fucking December. And oh, then, it's then that's Friday, and then it's the Wicked the Weekend. Wicked Weekend in uh, Stafford Springs, Connecticut. 
you have the uh, reunion of the Blair Witch cast. Um, you have Tyler Maine is going to be there. There's a whole ton of people. Um, it was posted earlier today. I'll have to share the post. Like there's a, there's a million awesome awesome uh, people that I haven't seen at other conventions, so it's super cool. So. As that stuff gets closer, we'll definitely give you more information and whatnot. Yeah, but, that's not till December. You know, uh, we'll be posting some stuff in the group as well. But the big things coming up is definitely Rock and Chalk. Yeah. So we hope to see you there, definitely. If you are there, come find us. We're really hard to miss. We're going to be dressed um, up all fancy on Saturday because we have a wedding to go to. Yeah, who I don't know who gets married on Rock and Chalk weekend. You can tell it's not our spooky friends because spooky people don't get married on Rock and Chalk weekend. That's true. Or if they did, they would get married like at the convention. Right, right. They would have a booth. Yeah. <laughs> they they would ask Kane Hodder if he was ordained. If, if, have if him officiate. Would. Yeah. Well, you can have anybody officiate as long as like someone ordained signs the uh, marriage certificate because that's what you we You know, do. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, some of these celebrities were ordained. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if Derek Mears was ordained. I think there's something, if I recall, I think so, there's a story about Derek Mears at a wedding. I forget if it was him. It might have been like Sid Haig that that officiated the wedding, but he was at at the wedding or something. Like, there's some wedding story where he either performed in it or was a part of it. Like, there's some That's story really cool. in in the in the book. So definitely read the book. Uh, you know, buy the book. Get it signed by Kane and Michael Aloisi. I'm gonna have him sign my tap my uh, my Kindle. Oh yeah. Yeah, like sign it right there, right on your your book there. And they'll be like, "The fuck is wrong with you?" And then coming up next week on the show, we are continuing our slasher series for the month of October. So definitely stick with us, stay tuned, see who we're going to cover next. We have some great characters coming it's up. Surprise. It's really exciting. I'm I'm very much excited to delve more into some of these horror characters. It's going to be slashy mix slash pants. Oh, don't give it away. It's the hatch slinging slasher. Hash slinging slasher. Hash slinging slasher. I don't know. We know who that is. You you need to watch more SpongeBob. I clearly we have the first hundred episodes on digital video disc that we're slowly w- making our way through because there's going to be a SpongeBob episode in the future. But uh, but anyways, I think with uh, that being said, unless you have anything else you want to add, real quick. Nope. All right. So with that being said, we, we will, will see you, you next Thursday. Thursday.